I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm thrilled to have my next guest here. We have Moira Forbes, who is the executive VP and publisher of Forbes Women, but really so much more than that. Um, and not that that isn't enough, but you are all familiar with Forbes. It is one of the world's largest media brands, and she is responsible for driving the new business initiatives across the companies, including all of the diverse media platforms that they have in the world-famous Forbes events. And Moira is part of the Forbes family, of course. And we're going to talk a little bit about the 104-year history of Forbes and what it's like to really build a legacy brand. She is also responsible for the Forbes annual list of the world's most powerful women and the host of Success with Moira Forbes. And coming up, she's going to talk to us a little bit about the Forbes Power Women's Summit that is coming up. And so that will be very, very exciting to hear a lot more about that. So uh, enough of me. Now I want to get to Moira and hear a little bit more from her. Welcome. Thank you, Carol. But it's, it's never enough from you. Um, you're you're, you exemplify the the Forbes mission. And so as a great entrepreneur and someone who's also been so committed to the work that I love, and that's work for empowering and advancing opportunities for women, it's, it's great to see you again. And it's great to be here. So thank you. Oh, thank you. That's so nice of you. Well, I want to start at the beginning. So I'd love to get a picture of Moira Forbes as a kid, as a child. Talk to me a little bit about what you thought you might be going to do with your life. Well, I um, I grew up, I'm one of five daughters. So I grew up um, in a family of all girls. Um, but I also grew up in a family, as you mentioned earlier, that was also a business. And it was this incredible opportunity for me to learn before I even thought I was learning around what it meant to build a business, what it meant to have customers, what it meant to really appreciate and have gratitude for all the people who are supporting the mission of, of the work that you do or the, the company that you're a part of. So I, I would say, you know, while my career started at Forbes technically when I was 22, it really did start at birth in the sense that um, my parents had us working, especially my grandfather, at a very young age, uh, entertaining clients, uh, going to work events, really being um, on the front lines of all that we did at Forbes. So it gave me this appreciation for Forbes as a business, but also really as a family that was much bigger than us. Um, these extraordinary people came to work day in and day out who believed in our mission. And I was also really fortunate because I had innately um, this passion for business. I always uh, would say that um, I thought business and, and when people started business, it was like magic, right? That you could create something out of nothing. I had such a clear sense that, that it was magic. 
And so even at a young age, I was always making building stores. I, you know, asked Santa for a cash register one year. Um, you know, I would ask for things like those old school desk plates that have your name on it. Um, cause I thought that was so cool. So innately it was something that I was always drawn to. As I said, I'm one of five girls. All of us are so different and had very different passions. And our parents were so focused on um, follow the direction that your passions take you. You have to work really hard. Um, you have to be relentless at what you do in terms of the commitment um, and the work ethic. Um, but the worst thing they felt they could do was to move us in a direction or, or influence us to follow a path that wasn't one that we wanted to chart on our own. So did all five girls go into the business? No, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. So, um, so interesting. He, they had different, um, they had different interests. Um, you know, one was an artist and, and others had different interests interest in business. But again, my father felt that the biggest disservice he could do to the company um, and to me was to influence any of us um, to go into the business. At the end of the day, it has to be a passion. At the end of the day, you also have to be able to do it. All, all my sisters and I could have easily gone in. Um, and, and I think they, they would have contributed in extraordinary ways, but they just followed a different path. And so he never felt that um, anyone had to go in the business. I'm the fourth generation in the business. I'm the only fourth generation in the business right now. I had to be very thoughtful whether that was something that I wanted um, because it is a different experience going into a fourth generation family business. It's, a, it's just a different experience in terms of how you navigate your career, um, the ways in which people connect and interact with you, uh, the ways in which you gain experiences. And so I really had to be committed to that and to love it. And if at any point I didn't, the worst thing I could do was, was to stay. So how often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. 
And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Oh, interesting. So you're the daughter of Steve Forbes, and you mentioned your uh, grandfather was Malcolm Forbes. So when you were growing up, did you feel like this was a business of finance or journalism or where, like, what did you kind of think that this was? It was a business of people and storytelling. Uh, when my great-grandfather started Forbes in 1917, it was a very radical approach to business journalism at the time, which is really focused on the numbers, um, the balance sheet, stock prices, whatever it may be. And when he founded Forbes, it was because he wanted to talk about 
the people behind the business. He would always say, if you want to understand the health of a business, look at what the time they called the head knocker, the person in charge, because that was really to him, the predictor, the greatest predictor of success at a company. And as a company that's been dedicated to free markets and entrepreneurial capitalism, it always comes down to, to the people. And so growing up, I didn't necessarily know, you know, what what business meant in every capacity. I knew it was business. I knew it was finance, but always went back to the people. And um, whether that be the people that we wrote about, whether that be the people inside our company, whether that be our clients and our customers, it was always a very people-centric business. And one, as I said, that was about storytelling. And today, obviously, storytelling is so critical to brands, but that's how I think about Forbes growing up with it was really these stories and obviously finance and sort of educating people. But I think it, it, it really is the stories behind the companies, the people that you have really the legacy of what Forbes has brought to life. So back in 1917, the first issue of Forbes had on the cover of the magazine, Women in Business. So, I mean, that in and of itself is so on the forefront of, you know, what anyone was talking about. This, of course, is before women were voting or anything. What, how does that make you feel? You know, it's, it's extraordinary. And, and when I launched our women's platform now back in 2006, right, at a time where we weren't having conversations around, um, you know, gender equity and, and the like, it was extraordinary when I looked back at that first issue, no one had been talking about that prominently on the bottom right-hand corner of the first issue, there was a dedicated department, which my great-grandfather called a unique department on women in business. And he wrote in that very first issue that someday women will work side by side with men, not for them. And uh, through subsequent issues, he talked about women who were starting to change the face of industries, also particularly at the time of you know World War One and World War II, where these different um, larger events changed the opportunities for women to be more active participants. Um, and so for us, it's always been a part of our DNA. Access to opportunity has always been, been a through line for us, whether that be in terms of, of gender, but also just the power of entrepreneurship to lift countries, to lift people, to lift societies out of poverty, that it really comes back to opportunity. And how can we at Forbes be a tool to help people achieve success? The other thing that my great-grandfather wrote in that first issue was that Business uh, was originated to produce happiness, not to pile up millions. He always had a, a sense of a higher purpose in terms of what business represented and what success represented. And if it was purely about wealth, personal wealth, um, then uh, then you were never going to be successful within your industry or arena. And that's been really fortunate for me because to, to be a brand, and especially a brand that's been um, thriving for over a century, you have to have a sense of purpose and you have to have a North Star because in those times of huge transformation and disruption, whether it be caused by external factors or internal events, that North Star allows you to continue to follow and stay focused on the things that ultimately matter and ultimately define who you are and your ability to deliver on that mission. So you first joined the business in 2001 in the London office, and since then you've launched different publications under the Forbes brand, but also championed the Women's Initiative, as you just mentioned. So talk to me about 
how that came about. Obviously, you guys have have definitely uh, touched on, and you had women on the cover on the first issue. You've you've talked about women be more in leadership roles and really followed the trends as uh, the 1900s moved on. So I'd love to hear overall, like, why did you want to launch this initiative? The reason we wanted to launch it was just really simple. When I was looking for people to inspire me or learn from, um, or who I felt um, followed a path uh, that, that was one that I could learn from, there weren't a lot of women being profiled or featured. Um, the stories of women, even though it's been a part of our DNA, still were woefully underrepresented in, you know, in terms of the larger conversations around business. Forbes, um, you know, has always been known for our lists, our Forbes 400, our wealth list, um, you know, self-made women, power women, you know, those were the two, two lists we launched more recently in women's space, but we've always been known for these lists. And my remit was to personally, I wanted to change the face of those lists because there were so few women and I was looking for inspiration and insight from how women navigated their careers, even if it be different careers, different career choices. I was still pretty early in my career and I couldn't find it. So that's why I decided to launch it because I had a need and, and, and a void that I wanted to fill personally. And I knew also it represented something much larger in terms of the opportunity for us at Forbes to really storytell uh, around both the challenges and opportunities for women to be a more active, um, you know, active participants and leaders within the business community in the U.S. and, and abroad. I will say it was a very difficult thing to launch. Um, it was um, something at the time where no one was having conversations around, um, you know, equity. When we would go to advertisers and clients, the initiative started as a magazine, which I love. But when we go to advertisers, they would say it would come out of their CSR budget, you know, corporate social responsibility. You would go to a bank and they would say, yeah, we know we're under delivering to, to marketing to women, but we don't have a budget to to market to women. And you're like, well, how much of your customer base? 50%. So it was extraordinary to me at the time to see the disconnect in terms of the market opportunity and how brands and services and companies were approaching it. So it really was an uphill um, battle uh, to be able to build a business around it. There were definitely these watershed moments or turning points that were really, I think, important in terms of the social and cultural you know, fabric um, of this country that changed that helped people really see and understand the importance. But it was definitely um, not easy, and it was such a personal passion of mine that um, that there was no other choice but to continue to find ways to build on it, even if it may not have been through the ways that we initially set out to. I love hearing from people like yourself who would probably not define yourself as an entrepreneur, but in many ways, uh, just being a disruptor, starting new businesses inside of large businesses, as you've done over and over again, is what great entrepreneurs do. And finding the problems and solving the problems and really trying to use your voice and and obviously the brand that has been, um, you know, so there for over a hundred years. I mean, I really admire everything that you've done. The more research I did on you, I've known you for a while, but I was just really blown away, frankly, by everything that you've done. So it's really, really cool. So you started the Forbes Power Women's Summit 
And I guess it's, is it the 10 year anniversary? 10 year anniversary, yep. So over the last 10 years, you've illuminated or amplified conversations about women's issues to drive progress. I'd love to hear sort of how that's changed from the beginning and how, you know, what you're seeing today. Well, first and foremost, when um, I think about this topic of power, we've also done a power women's list for many, many years. What's been really interesting to me is the fact that the word power was embraced very differently a decade ago. Um, I remember when we would, um, certain women I knew who would be featured prominently on a list of the 100 world's most powerful women, they actually would shy away from it. They'd say, I'm not that. There was one of the most iconic, powerful women in tech who I was at an event and there was the, the, the power women's list that was blown up on, you know, those stanchions. And I said, let me take a picture of you in front of it. I'm like, this is so cool. And she said, I can't, I am not that powerful. I'm in the top 10. I mean, I'm, this, is, this is, and she got uncomfortable. And she said, finally, my assistant said to me, look, you just have to own it. It's exciting. Wow. And so the word power, I think was one that comes with um, a lot of associations, oftentimes with women, when we talk about powerful women, or we talk about ambition, there's a different set of language or expectations or ways in which that women can state their ambition or talk about power. So a word that that I think women wanted more power and, and power at the time, far too often represented hard power. Um, and whether that be, you know, currencies or constituents, you know, people and money, and they, they didn't want to talk about it in, in, in terms of hard power. Power to them often was, was really in the context of influence and how to affect change. So first, the power conversations have changed dramatically. Now that's a term we, so many you know, women embrace and run toward um, and really are looking for ways to build their power pay that power forward and empower others. And that's been a really positive um, set of dynamics. The other thing I would say too, 10 years ago, when we started this women's initiative, a lot of people said, I I don't want to be recognized just because I'm a woman. I don't want to go to an event. You know, someday I want there to be no power women's list or to, to be no conference dedicated to women. And while I understood that you don't want to be necessarily called out exclusively for your gender, right? You want to be seen and called out for your contributions and your talent and your skills in the context of of both men and women. To me, I got frustrated because it was also um, an untapped opportunity to provide inspiration um, and to spotlight the progress that women are making in different categories. Um, and I never saw this as Forbes for women. It was a way to have a different set of conversations and it was added to additive to what we were doing at Forbes. I mean, literally some people said, I, I don't want to go to a Forbes women's event. I want to do a Forbes event. Like it is a Forbes event. This is just a dynamic of the conversation that we feel like has explored, been explored more fully. The last thing I'll say about you know power is that even we started to then, but I think we've continued to take a much more expansive definition of power. And as I said earlier, far too often, I think people associated power with you had to be a CEO or a head of state. And of course, that's incredibly powerful, but more and more people recognize the importance of soft power. That is the ability to impact change, the ability to convene people and to collaborate, the ability to use your influence for the greater good. What that's also meant is our definition of who is a powerful woman has expanded because it, you don't have to be in a corner office to be able to use your voice and to drive change. 
So for me, that that ex- more expansive approach to power, um, the fact that that your voice and your platform are these incredible opportunities to be a change agent and to be powerful is something that I think wasn't appreciated then. So that has been sort of this through line of continuing to expand the definition of power, but the fact that all of us have it, and far too often we don't appreciate how much power we actually have and how easy it, it is for us to deploy in both ways that are really small that add up over time or more monumental ways. Your upcoming conference is in September. Uh, what is the exact date? It is September 15th. September 15th. Very exciting. So we're hosting an invitation-only live event, so it'll be great to be back in person. Um, and we're also um, live streaming the event. One of the, the silver linings of, um, of the pandemic was this need and ability to scale these live conversations, these really, really interesting conversations in ways you know, to engage with other like-minded women. Um, And so we held the summit virtually for two years. And uh, both years we had around 20,000 attendees. Wow. And we're continuing to do that because yes, there is a dynamic to the live component that is, you know, this extraordinary experience, but not all people can attend the live event. You know, it's geography, time, whatever it may be. And so I'm so excited um, that now there's uh, much, you know, People are more willing um, to experience content virtually, but that we have this opportunity to really amplify the insights shared because it's extraordinary voices and so many people can benefit from learning from them. I think you're right that the pandemic, you know, it's the one good thing uh, that came out of it. Uh, Maybe there's a couple more, but uh, just to be able to be virtual and be someplace outside of New York, maybe you are not in a C-suite or um, not typically able to go to your conference, now you can. So that is a, a great, great opportunity. And we'll definitely put the link in the show notes for sure for people to sign up for it as well. I'm super curious. You talked about the power of now, which is the summit this year's theme. How do you think the pandemic has influenced how women think about leading and women in business overall. We've heard of the great resignation. We were also, obviously, women left the workforce. I don't think they uh, left by choice. Um, often, women were making less money. Um, they had to deal with childcare, all of these things. So where are we at now? Now that we're going back to live events, when people are going back in the office, I mean, let's hope, let's hope touch wood. I know, yeah. right? Um, where do you think we are in business? Like, where? What are women who you consider powerful? Hopefully, they consider themselves powerful. What are they thinking right now? Undoubtedly, the pandemic had a negative, disproportionate impact on women, and and the hard won gains of you know the recent decade or more. Um, were threatened um, or or have been erased, and that's you know that's obviously a real issue. But the flip side is there's never been a greater call to action in terms of being able to address the root problems and the root challenges challenges that the pandemic exposed. Things on things such as access to childcare, right, paid leave, some of the greatest barriers that were preventing women from. Um, going into remaining in the workforce um, are ones that came to the surface and are at, were at the forefront. 
it also became a set of issues that women weren't just talking about. You know, CEOs of companies, leaders were seeing the challenges in their own homes. They were seeing it, you know, behind us, right? When my kids are popping up on Zooms, the realities and the challenges in terms of, of women predominantly bearing the majority of household responsibilities um, and men starting to see how much more that existed or men having to, to, to play a greater role or having to understand how their companies could support that, I think has been really, really transformative. So we went from this problem that we knew existed to really a set of challenges that became at the forefront of every leadership agenda. Not all companies are going to solve it. They're not necessarily all going to take it as seriously as they should, but it became a really active set of conversations and actionable solutions that that um, came came to bear in a very, very short period of time. The other thing that came to the forefront, at least in my mind, was in order to build a more resilient future, in order to build a more resilient economy, more resilient society, women have to be at the forefront. Women have to be in positions of leadership in terms of shaping decisions, shaping policy, building you know, the transformative businesses of the future. And when we look at an economy, not just here in the US, where 50% of the world's population, right? There's like a, a, a such an untapped and extraordinary opportunity uh, that exists from a talent and an economic perspective when we can bring more women into the workforce and create more equitable opportunities to ascend to gain power, use power, build wealth, give back to communities. Um, you know, that is fundamental. So there's a window of opportunity that exists right now. Um, and, and there is a sense of urgency that exists that we need to be pushing these changes through. So what conversations that were on the sidelines or, or really only being um, uh, focused on by people who, who had this deep commitment, these conversations and the realization that they're real problems are, are now front and center. Um, so again, I always look for the silver linings and I've actually never been more optimistic about the opportunities for women, not just here in the US, but in, in, in the world in terms of, as I said, the, con- the conversations that are being had, the ways in which we can drive change in a very, very short period of time, things, not just because of the pandemic, but things in general, just the rate of change that would have taken sort of years or decades can happen overnight. And one thing that really, you know, last night I was just doing some, some research online and I read that like that um, in Switzerland, you know, women had only had the right to vote for 50 years. Like that's I'm like, that's gotta be wrong. That's gotta be wrong. I Google 1971 women gained the right to vote in Switzerland. Um, one of the last European countries, but to me, that was just shocking, right? 50 years shocking. is not a long time. And so when we look at where we were, even when I started our work in the women's space to today, right now, year by year, it's just the, the progress is getting faster and faster. Forbes Power Women's Summit uh, will have the link in the show notes. And it was such a pleasure to speak to you, Moira, and nice to see you. I uh, wish I could give you a hug. And uh, well, hopefully we will soon. And, and Kara, I have to thank you because, as I said, sort of you are someone who exemplifies what, what we do at Forbes, why we do it. And you've been someone who's not only built this you know, extraordinary business, 
but you also have paid that power forward. You've been such a champion of sharing your story and offering insights and access to other entrepreneurs uh, and being so generous with, with your time to do that. So I'm grateful for that. I know so many people have benefited um, from the work that you've led, not just in building an extraordinary company, but to be able to share those insights and, and convene um, important conversations. So um, grateful to you because without people like you, we, we wouldn't have the brand. Oh, so nice. Well, it's been a pleasure definitely to contribute to uh, Forbes and, and to get to know you um, over the years as well. So thank you so much. And thanks everybody for the listening, um, listening to this incredible episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Definitely give it five stars. Helps with the algorithm a lot. And uh, subscribe to The Kara Golden Show if you have not already. And just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. Where Moira, where's the best place to find you? Um, and anywhere on, on social media, on Forbes. Luckily, when you have a, a name that's hard to spell and a little bit different, um, it's easier to Google you. Exactly. Moira Forbes. And we're here every Monday, Wednesday, and we've recently added Friday. And thank you, everybody, for listening today and have a great rest of the week. Thanks all for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And I want to thank all of our guests and our sponsors. And finally, our listeners, keep the great comments coming in. And one final plug, if you have not read or listened to my book, Undaunted, please do so. You will hear all about my journey, including founding, scaling, and building the company that I founded, Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks everyone for listening and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.